0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of Blitz Scalable Venture Deals. I'm Chris Ye, and I'm joined by my partner Scott Johnson over at Blitz Scaling Ventures. How are you doing, Scott? Feeling good today, Chris.
1: Have some really interesting deals to discuss, so looking forward to our conversation.
0: Wonderful. So, we're going to be talking today about deals that were conducted and announced in September of 2022. Uh, this podcast is a little later than normal because I was going through the process of moving out of my house, which was a painful and hellish process,
1: but I'm glad to be finally done. You mean there's no app for that? You have to actually move physical stuff.
0: Strangely enough, I could not use the blockchain to move my
1: 20-year-old boxes. <laughs> yeah, or sort through them, which is really the hardest part, which is trying to figure out which, which, which things to keep and which not. Sort of like cleaning out your hard drive. Okay, so uh, September. Let's look at total deal count for the deals we track. Remember, we're tracking just a subset of firms, some of the largest, most uh, recognizable ones, and total deals, 82, which compares to, uh, let's say, January was 140, and August was 84, and July was 70. And so, you know, we're at a new normal here, Chris, you know, 70, 84, 82, I think we're sort of bumping along at that number of total deals. Uh, There were 55 in the US, 27 international, and Seed and Series A were 27, no, sorry, 25 and 17% respectively. So adding up to about half the deals, uh, actually less than that, 40%. So, it's, you know, it's it's a kind of a new normal month and it doesn't appear like looking at the trends in data between seed A and B and C, the ratios aren't changing that much. There's a lot of talk about how late stage rounds have disproportionately come down in number. And I think not number. I think if we look at dollar volume, which I don't have in front of me, then we would see that it's down across the board. But as far as number of deals crossing the wire, remember, there are a lot more deals done than cross the wire because inside rounds kind of don't get announced, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a, you know, sort of a new normal uh, month. And we have some yet, you know, despite the diminished top line number, we have a bunch of interesting deals to talk about. Yeah, and I
0: should remind our audience that you've previously done some research that indicated that during a downturn in the stock market, like the one we've seen, we'll often see a reduced deal pace for four or five quarters. So if we take a look at what's happened, we first saw the plummeting deal rate earlier this year, we would expect this new normal to persist at least into 2023 and probably some way into 2023, if not more.
1: Yeah, I think you know next summer. Hopefully, things will perk up, and there will be uh, an uptick. But until then, you know it's it's you know if history is our guide, and you just never know. I mean, that's an average number, so it 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 could be longer. There's macro events that could change all of that calculus, but we'll see. It's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. It is. It is indeed. Um, All right. Good. So you've moved out of your house. We've got some deals to talk about. And where do you want to start? How about how about with pay all payment systems?
0: Yes, let's talk about pay all because, of course, as we all know, payments is a remarkable business. It's driven the success of enormously valuable companies like PayPal or like Stripe because of the what I call the river of money theory. When you are helping to direct the river of money, it's a lot easier to dip in and pull some out for yourself. And so payment systems are awesome from that perspective they also tend to have strong network effects because obviously the more people who accept a payment method or the more people who are part of a payment network the more powerful it becomes and there's some virality because people want to receive money and are willing to go through some hoops in order to get it so all these are why payment systems are good now the thing is once a market is won, it's difficult to pull it away which is why you know, it was impossible to take on PayPal directly. You had to go and focus on mobile payments a la Venmo or what have you.
1: But good luck, good luck unseating Venmo, right? I mean, it's just, you know, that's how you pay everybody now. And that's, I I just don't see that changing unless there's a really good reason security breach or suddenly they get hacked and all your money disappears. But, uh, you know, apart from that, we're going to be using Venmo to, you know, pay the babysitter. So, that's, uh, that's why we're so interested in, in win- the winner-take-all aspect of payment systems. I, I want to mention the round. So it's a $10 million seed round. And Andreessen Horowitz is the lead. There are a bunch of other investors alongside them. Uh, the website is just what you'd think, payall.com. Is Andreessen allowed to lead a deal that's not a Web3 or crypto deal? i'm sure they have uh some sort of blockchain in their in their pitch deck
0: <laughs> all right so with PayAll, the specific niche that pay all is going after is correspondent banking as a service basically facilitating cross-border payments and money transfers for regulated financial institutions and this makes it interesting so we gave it a pretty good score on winner take most and a pretty good score on viral growth or distribution Because, from a winner-take-most perspective, first of all, it is valuable to build up the largest possible payment system. It is not quite as perfect as a a consumer payment network would be because there are fewer nodes in the network. There are just fewer regulated banks than there are individual consumers. And in terms of the viral growth of distribution, we gave it a nine because, again, they are slower to adopt, but there still is each the fact that each transaction is a two-way transaction, a transfer of one party to another. Therefore, it is naturally viral. So we like both of those. Product market fin, it's still very early, a seed stage deal. So we gave it a seven. Remains to be seen. But I can testify. I
1: can attest, though, to the market need for this, mm-hmm. and I've recently tried to make, and it's a simple international wire transfer. You know, you put in the SWIFT code, and you know, you fill out the template, and it should just work. Well, there was like one digit off, I think, in the uh, account number. Nobody noticed it a week into it, they're like, well, maybe we should run a trace, you know, the trace comes back another five days later. And you sort through this sort of Byzantine thing that looks like your explanation of benefits from your healthcare system. And sure enough, then you find out if you're really careful, you can check the account number and see that there's a digit that got swapped or something. So that two weeks later, we have to reinitiate the wire. This is something that should happen in five minutes.
0: Yeah, that is atrocious, and the reason cross-border is a particularly good niche is because of the anti-money laundering know-your-customer requirements, which are extensive, and it makes it difficult for banks to work with other banks, which is why they have correspondent banks. Now, PayAll just makes it super simple. You can connect via API, it works with your tech stack, and all of a sudden, you're able to facilitate cross-border payments and transfers, which, of course, are becoming more and more important in this increasing globalized world, so we love that. Market size is enormous, essentially unlimited, gross margin and org scalability are very high because this is a purely electronic business. Op scalability, well, as you just heard from the example of Scott, I mean, Scott, you ended up having to deal with customer service. This is an area where, as I like to tell the story of PayPal, people care, they're not just willing to shrug off if a payment goes awry. So you do have to have some customer service and we only gave them a nine. It's not as bad as consumer service again because it's B2B and so there are fewer people. And so it's probably not as bad a challenge. Add it all up, and we have a total score of 80, which,
1: as all of our loyal listeners know, is the threshold for blitz scalability. Yes, indeed. And we have a couple other companies that got 80 this month. One of them is HyperComply, and this one uh, did a seed round, so there's another seed deal. It's $6.4 and our friends at FirstMark were part of the lead syndicate here, and you know, it's uh, it's just solving the this problem that is an enormous headache if you're trying to sell software and anyone who's sort of suffered through the enterprise software sales cycle knows that when you hit the security compliance uh, requirements, then there is a long, long, long form. And it just seems to keep getting longer. And the everyone's different and the boxes you check are different. And so it's it's, it's this non-standard, enormous, friction, full pain in the ass. And HyperComply is going after that.
0: Exactly. Now, the interesting thing is that I've probably spent more of my career selling enterprise software than doing anything else. And I can back you up on this, Scott. It is horrendous. You receive these gigantic RFPs and RFIs and questionnaires, and you fill them out and enter them. And then moreover, it's not just a pain for the vendor. It's a pain for the buyer as well. They have to go through and read this crap. And so it is just a god-awful process, right for disruption. Yeah, that's can why you just imagine, questions. you
1: know, you, you get a yes from the business buyer at Goldman Sachs, and then here comes the Goldman Sachs security team saying, all right, fill out this form. And, you know, it's, it's just... Uh, the, 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 terrible experience terrible so it's the sales people hate it everybody hates it buyers sellers everybody hates it so why is though why is this a blitzscaler enterprise software uh, usually is not
0: well that's because we describe this very simply as the common app for enterprise software sales the common app being the common app for college which allowed our kids to apply to so many colleges so easily. Uh, which, by the way, has the knock-on effect of driving down college admissions rates because there's so many more applications than ever before, uh, making the whole process more uncertain, which is not good. But nonetheless, it is the standard. And that's the thing. If HyperComply can truly become the common app for enterprise software sales, it will become an industry standard, and it has, therefore, platform network effects. Now, this is not as strong as a two-sided marketplace or communications network. are only giving it a 9 out of 10. But it is still strong. And we also gave it a nine for viral growth or distribution because, as I described it, HyperComply benefits both the buyer and the seller, the supplier and the purchasing group. And therefore, it will spread virally. Every time somebody goes ahead and has to fill out an RFI and it's through HyperComply, that's going to increase. And every time people say, hey, you know, we could do this through HyperComply. The security side will hear, oh, maybe we should look into it. And more importantly, they'll get a ton of pressure from the C-suite saying, stop screwing around. This is going to make it faster and easier. Just do it. So strong virality as well, 9 out of 10. Product market fit, again, we have to test it out. But knowing this problem, it just instinctively makes a ton of sense. I was willing to go for an 8 out of 10 on there. Market size, enterprise software is enormous, 10 out of 10. Gross margin, pure software business, 10 out of 10. Now we do ding them on org scalability because guess what? To create this common app, you have to be able to figure out what all these enormously manual RFIs and RFPs and questionnaires actually say. So there's an army of human beings that has to actually interpret these at least once. And that means there's some upfront investment. We only gave them a six out of 10.
1: Yeah, Uh, but it is reminiscent of Crossbeam, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. And there are those network effects that occur. Same sort of thing. Not perfect network effects, not perfect viral growth, but still very strong. And thanks to operation scalability still being very high, a 10 out of 10, because this is very straightforward. The total score is 80. Again, the threshold of blitz scalability and also from my own personal and professional experience, a product that should
1: definitely exist. Perfect. Okay. now let's switch to (laughs) Emergy. EMRgy and that's EMRgy.com it's a company out of Atlanta and this is unusual deal for us because it's not software it is an energy company as you may have surmised from the name and this energy company did did I mention they did a series A 15 million uh, and it's you know it's really a land grab usually when there's a land grab it's kind of a land grab because it's kind of hard to unseat the incumbent. And so we give it an eight or a nine out of 10. In this case, we're giving it a 10 out of 10 for grabbing, literally grabbing land. So why don't you tell us about that, Chris? So this is an incredible company and an incredible story. So
0: I encountered this company through my work as a mentor for the Unreasonable Group, which is of course an awesome social impact accelerator that helps entrepreneurs who are having a major impact on the world. And that's when I encountered Emergy. And as the entrepreneur, Emily Morris, was describing her company and her situation, I was literally trying to throttle back noises of excitement that I was involuntarily generating. I was like, mm, ah, oh, mm, mm, going along as she talked about it, because I have never seen anything close to the, something that matched so closely the factors that created such enormous fortunes in shale oil and gas in the 2000s. So here's the deal. What Emergy does is it makes micro turbines, micro water turbines. So normally you have these gigantic turbines in a dam. You've probably seen them in movies and other things like that. They're just absolutely enormous and they generate all this electricity. Well, Emergy makes the tiny, tiny version of it. They look a little bit like egg beaters or mixers. And instead of being you know, part of a gigantic dam that weighs billions of tons, They are small units that can be basically the size of an SUV that can be put in artificial waterways, canals and aqueducts. And they're able to take just the regular water flow, not some sort of dam with water pressure built up, and generate electricity at a levelized cost of about three cents per kilowatt hour, which, having checked my own bill, I can tell is a good rate. So what do we have here? What we have here is a technology that generates clean energy at a very low cost. But that's not all they generate clean base load energy. In other words, energy that is operating 24 hours a day. That's the big problem with most wind and solar right now. It does not operate all the time. And therefore, in fact, there are major issues with the grid here in California because the solar panels go offline as the sun goes down and then people come home with their electric cars and plug into charge early evening is actually the highest point of demand, and that's precisely when the energy is going away. And so having something that can reliably produce electricity all the time is enormously valuable. Historically, this is only possible through fossil fuels or nuclear. There's no renewable energy that generates it other than maybe some hydropower, which is very limited in geography. All of a sudden with energy, you can have distributed hydropower, you can have clean baseload energy, and you can do this in a way that has almost zero environmental impact. Right, the biggest issue with hydropower and you've seen this with these gigantic dams they've built perhaps you recall the building of the three gorges dam in china you know you the aswan dam in, in egypt you're creating enormous ecological damage destroying world heritage sites killing the wildlife here they put the turbines into artificial waterways canals and aqueducts where the, the wildlife isn't there to begin with. And where by the way there's close access to electrical grid to just plug in and and sell the electricity there so enormously valuable and what's best of all is they're the only ones who have this technology which means when they go out there and talk to the various operators of these waterways to get the energy generation rights for these waterways they're talking to people who basically view these things as useless right there's no energy generation right now all of a sudden energy comes along and says hey would you like to make some extra money off of what you're already doing we'll take care of everything and they just sign up and they don't even require that much of an upfront payment so it's even better than shale oil and gas because it is good for the environment and there is an enormous upfront investment required so i got so excited when i saw this i'm like this is 10 out of 10 winner take most
1: yeah and you talk to people about renewables and they're like well we have to do nuclear because you know, it's just there's no way to get there any other. I mean, It's just impossible to the amount of electricity consumed is too big. So nuclear is the only answer to fossil fuels. And this actually raises a question about that, because the number of waterways that they can plug into, so to speak, is enough that they can create a lot, a lot, a lot of power. So. This one, it's, it's you know, if we could give an 11 to market size, we certainly would.
0: Yes, uh, I think that the estimate I came up with from looking at their presentation is that their opportunity in the United States alone is approximately $300 billion a year in revenue. So that's exciting. Uh, now, we still have to score the rest of the things. In terms of viral growth and distribution, this is not a completely viral. Of course, there's a little bit of word of mouth. But the main thing it is, is it's a story, much like Chesapeake Energy, where you can hire an army of salespeople. In the case of Chesapeake Energy, they called them landmen because this was the 2000s and it's a sexist industry. In the case of Emergy, we call them developers, not software developers, but rather people who go out to these various municipalities and eat barbecue and sit on the couch of the the, the, the head person and eat there and drink a tea with them. And usually after a day or two, they're just happy to sign. They're very excited. It's actually a relatively short sales cycle, but you got to be there. Fortunately, there's already an army of potential salespeople that the solar industry has trained up. And there's a very clear analogy. You could just get people who are doing solar development and have them do this instead. It is almost a direct translation and that's actually where they have their commercial people from. Product market fit. This has been out there in the marketplace, installed, generating electricity and pilot projects since 2017. So this product is out there. It's not like something that's brand new. It's not like something where there's no results. The results are in, it works. We talked about the market size being enormous gross margin is not perfect because they're sharing the revenues with the municipalities and other folks. Uh, They have to finance equipment. There's some capital requirements involved. Obviously, it's better to finance it, but that's going to also have a cost. So we only give it an eight for gross margin and an eight for org scalability because you got to hire all these developers. And then the biggest issue is off scalability. So if they're going to operate hundreds or even thousands or tens of thousands of turbines around the country they got to keep them running and of course they're very reliable but everything breaks down there's always problems so you have to deal with operation scalability in addition they got to make these things now they have a licensing deal with ge which is of course one of the world's largest corporations to do manufacturing outside the united states but they're going to build manufacturing inside the united states themselves and, of course, that's going to take capital and, and effort as well. So we gave them one of our very lowest op scalability scores, a 6 out of 10.
1: Yes, but nevertheless, we still score an 80. And that means this is a scaler, And we're so excited about it, we're actually going to make an investment in this company. So that's going to be announced shortly. But if you listen to this podcast, you get a little preview of that. And we're really excited to include this in our portfolio. All right, moving on, we have... Uh, Tracked, and this is an interesting one. It's in the education space. Uh, NEA led a nine million dollars seed round, so another seed deal, and it's um, it's a it's for kids. And I've invested in things that are for kids in my past, and the problem is the kids grow up. So unlike a lot of apps where grownups use them kind of for the rest of their lives, kids. If they use it when they're 10, they're probably not going to use it when they're 13. And then whatever they're using when they're 13, they're not going to use when they're 18, et cetera. So you have to constantly replenish your customer base. It's very expensive to do that. And by the way, marketing to kids is really hard. You can't do it through most social media because they're not allowed to social media accounts and they consume like whatever their parents allow them to consume, not what they want to consume. And so there's some challenges here, but overall, we're, we're fascinated by this company.
0: Yes, so the genesis of this company comes from my friend Esther Wojcicki, who of course is very famous as a legendary teacher here in the Palo Alto Public Schools, but is perhaps at this point even more famous for having raised daughters like Anne and Susan, who are among the most powerful women in business in the world. And Esther is an amazing woman. She's 80 now, uh, still full of more energy than I am. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, Lots of good, uh, good exercise, I suppose. And TRACT is based on what she did in her classroom for multiple decades she really focused on working with kids and having the kids lead the way and create their own content as opposed to the teachers standing in the front and lecturing and so on and Tract is a company that arose because she's collaborating with one of her old high school students Uh, amir was one of her high school students a decade plus ago but she stayed in touch with him he's one of the very bright students and after he left uber he wanted to do something more with his life have an impact Uh, He decided, you know what? What I'd love to do is scale up the incredible experience I had in Esther's classroom. So he and Esther are the co founders working on building out this product. And the key is it's a marketplace for teaching materials and lessons, but it's made by kids for kids. And that is both its incredible strength and its Achilles heel. Uh, Its incredible strength is it's authentic and kids are marketing to other kids and they can do that far more effectively than us old people. But the downside is it is buy kids for kids and kids age out quickly and so it is uh, a challenge right so we do view this as a strongly winner take most because it has youtube like marketplace dynamics we view this as very so 10 out of 10 we view it as fairly viral 9 out of 10 because these kids are spreading it to other kids but we still have some doubts about will the will it be there in the long term? We gave it an 8 for product market fit because it's based on something that has worked in the past and they've got thousands and thousands of users already. But there's some challenges on market size. You know, only 9 out of 10. It's still EdTech. Gross margin, 10 out of 10, uh, which is great. Org scalability, you got to have moderation. you got to check safety. So that's going to be not perfect. So 8 out of 10. And then Ops scalability is basically running YouTube service, which is now trivial to do. 10 out of 10. So it gets a great score, 86 out of 100, but we still have some hesitation around, will it be for there for the long term? Will the kids be able to successfully transmit it to the next cohorts of kids coming up? That's the big question, and that's what time will tell.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the, it, it, it might be true that it's really the teacher that's the customer, and the teachers are pretty persistent, and they don't turn nearly the way the kids do, obviously. So, um you know, it's, it's, it, it, it might overcome that objection that we raised about the kids passing along to the kids. If you want to check it out, it's at tract.app, that's T-R-A-C-T dot A-P-P. And that is Tract. Let's mer- move, move along to Fermat Commerce, Chris. What the heck is that? Well, I believe we would pronounce it Fermat
0: Commerce, much like Fermat's Last Theorem. But what Fairmont Commerce does is it makes it really easy for influencers to sell within their content. So judging by the demonstration we can see on their website, what you're able to do, let's say you're an Instagram influencer, right? You've got millions of people following you, doing videos all the time. And then the way you monetize is you put notes in the video saying, hey, by the way, you can go here, you can enter this code, you can do that. And it's this ridiculously challenging thing, right? People have to actually break the flow of what they're doing, click there, do it separately, remember to do it. It's frankly, it's amazing that influencer marketing works despite all the barriers. And what Fairmont does is it removes those barriers. So the influencer signs up for Fairmont, uh, sets up an account, and then what they're able to do is it works with their actual content. So within the Instagram reel itself, it will then show people will then see, you know, highlighting on the item itself that you're talking about shop here or buy this. And they click it and the video pauses and they're brought into the Fermat interface and they can go ahead and just, you know, pay via PayPal, Venmo, what have you, buy the thing. And then you just go back to the video. So it removes so much of the friction from influencer commerce which is very exciting because, again, influencer marketing has become huge despite all the
1: barriers. Yeah, and it's a Greylock deal, $12 million. It's another seed deal. It's a good-sized seed deal. And they are in San Francisco. And if you want to find them, they're just where you might expect. Fermat Commerce. Vermont Commerce. Sorry, Chris. FermatCommerce.com, F-E-R-M-A-T, Commerce.com uh so scoring wise you know i it, it is really a pain let's say you have something you want to sell and you think oh influencers could sell that you know where the heck do you turn to make that easy like which influencer and why and and then how do you sign them up and like do you have to deal with their agent or what what's the process and it's probably different for each one so if you just make selling through influencers as easy as it is as it is today to sell through websites where you can just go to an ad network or go, it's, it's very easy to just go to Google or Facebook and self-serve and away you go. you know, if they bring a self-serve component to influencer marketing, then I think it just could explode. So very exciting there. Is it winner take most? Well, because you want the most choice as to which your influencers are and the best data around those influencers, then you want the biggest, uh, set of influencers, so that's you know that side of the marketplace needs to be the biggest, and on the other side, of course, the influencers are going to be using the service that has the most advertisers. And just look at Google; I mean, it's it's the it's the place to go, and it's become a marketplace where. You cannot compete unless you're Apple and you make it a, <laughs> technically infeasible to, to do what they used to do. But it, that's it. So it's, it's a really amazing self-serve opportunity for both sides of the market. Yeah. So we gave it a nine.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we gave it a 10 out of 10 in distribution because guess what? Anytime you're serving a group like influencers who are shameless self-promoters, and I mean that in a very positive sense, It is extremely viral. They're going to be out there for themselves. This is what they do on a daily basis. They're going to be flogging you and what you do. And by the way, as we all know, the number one profession that young people want to be today is influencers. So the people who are watching those influencer videos are going to see this and say, when I'm an influencer, I got to use this myself. So there's a lot of spillover there. So that's obviously a a great thing. Uh, We continue along product market fit. Hey, you know, still pretty early, uh, it seems like it makes a lot of sense, but we're only gonna give it an eight out of 10. We're gonna wait and see. Not gonna give it the full 10 out of 10. wanna make sure this is something people continue to use over time. Market size, enormous, 10 out of 10. Gross margin, really high, 10 out of 10. It's a marketplace, they're not taking inventory. Or they can just plug into Shopify and all these things in the world. Org scalability, you know, some care and feeding involved with the influencers. They could be tricky customers to deal with. So we're gonna give it an eight out of 10. But ops scalability, again, they're not touching the goods themselves. The whole infrastructure is so well developed already, 10 out of 10. The
1: overall score is 88, which is a really good score. Yeah, we're excited about that one. It's a seed round. So, you know, they have a ways to go before they prove that they are the winner that's going to take most. But we love the model. And that does it for the deals of September 2022, Chris.
0: Yeah, it's another exciting crop. Uh, I have to say, you know, they've been talking about how there's a flight to quality in the funding market and that companies that are good, high quality companies are still able to get funding. And at least based on what we're seeing, I mean, while we saw a decline in the number of deals, we did not see a decline in the number of deals that we considered interesting deals. And obviously they have tended to move a little earlier. You heard a couple of times today when we said this is a seed deal, this is a seed deal. But it is the case that great companies are still coming out there. And so in many ways, even when there's a slowdown in the marketplace, that doesn't mean there are fewer great companies. It just means there's fewer companies getting funded. And perhaps that displays the fact that it's actually healthy sometimes to have a bit of a market shakeout.
1: Yeah, I mean, try explaining that to the, to the company that raised money a year ago and is running out of cash and just doesn't seem to have enough of what it takes to be in that flight to quality class you know that's really tough situation so it's you know it's easy for us as investors to sit here and say that but i i just want to give a shout out to everybody who's struggling to raise money right now it is a highly highly stressful time absolutely especially for those entrepreneurs who've never
0: experienced a market like this before unless you were out raising money in that sort of 2008 time frame you haven't experienced this before And of course, and unfortunately, you you and I have experienced many booms and busts over our careers. We bear the scars from our learning experiences to prove it. But it is the case that even during tough times, you can start great companies and hopefully more great companies will get started. And if the company that you raised money for that's struggling right now goes under, hey, that doesn't mean you weren't cut out to be an entrepreneur. It just means it's time to gear up and figure out the next one. Yes, that's the Silicon Valley way. All right, Chris, uh, great doing this with you as always. Thank you, Scott. And I hope that everyone will join us again next month when we will be looking at deals for October, 2022. This is Chris Yeh on behalf of Scott Johnson. Thank you for listening.